Come on, come on to the festival of thrift. Come one, come all to our Festival of Thrift podcast series of talks recorded live in the Enlightened Tent at the Festival in Kirkleatham, Redcar in September 2021. A celebration advance the generation. We hope you'll enjoy this edited recording of our discussion about sustainable architecture, which was entitled The Build-Up to Greener Construction. The talk was chaired by Tim Crawshaw, an international planning and development consultant, chair of Tees Valley Nature Partnership and also vice president of the Royal Town Planning Institute. Guests were Christine Thornley, a chartered architect at Grove Studio Architecture and chair of Reba Tees Valley, and Mark Barlow, managing director at Logic Architecture, who, as you'll hear, are developing Kirk Leatham Hall School. So let's go. Over to you, Tim. Festival of the construction industry is responsible for 39% of the total global CO2 emissions. 39% of building stuff, the materials, moving them around, the, the cost of demolition, absolutely everything. That's a lot of emissions. The goal is massive. However, as we reduce operational emissions use, now when I talk about your operational emissions, is actually all that stuff that it takes to run the building, like heating and everything else. The embodied energy, i.e. The, the actual energy that's in the materials the building's made of, becomes more and more important if we are to meet our targets in terms of CO2 reduction. And clearly, we could build less and reuse more buildings, and it's a really important strand, this. And we've all done it. The Victorians did it, you know. Oh, look at that Georgian stuff. I don't like that. Knocked it down and built some Victorian stuff. And then we come along. Oh, I don't like the Victorian stuff. We'll build some modern stuff. Um, so the Royal Academy of Engineering only yesterday published Decarbonising Construction, Building a New Net Zero Industry, and have identified some really important things. Changing procurement and performance indicators. So does it stand up? Does it keep the rain out? And what is the audit trail of the materials? Really important point. Um, changes in design practice to incorporate nature-based solutions. It could be as simple as facing it in the right direction and looking where the prevailing wind is, you know. And what's coming at us like a freight train isn't so much keeping people warm, it's keeping people cool in the summer. So actually, we're still building stuff and then thinking, sorry, we'll just stick an aircon unit on the side. That'll be all right. And you're starting to see them down south, you know, aircon units on houses. You're like, whoa, come on. That's chugging away all the time. Um, and decarbonizing building products, which is possible. You know, cement's got a lot of CO2 in it. We need to rethink what we're doing and why we're doing it. And in the words of a planner, where we're doing it to. The most sustainable building in many ways is the one that's close to where you want to be. <laughs> Otherwise, you're getting in the car or <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. As citizens, you know, we're all using and consuming buildings, much in the same way as we need to understand food and our food literacy. We need to know what we're asking for so then we know what we're getting. Consumer demand will change things. So actually, if us as citizens start to ask for more, we will get more, you know? So there are many excellent, highly trained professionals who are here to help you. All we need to do is be a really good client and say, go and do your stuff. So let's hear from Christine about how she does her stuff. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I think a lot of people don't think about sustainability when they're doing their house extension or their refurbishment or even just building their own house. They think it's out of reach. It's, it's the grand design's end of scale. It really isn't. Every time I go and see a client, I say to them, I'm going to make your house more sustainable whether you like it or not. It's because when you're doing work, as soon as you start doing that work, you're spending money 
So why not spend it in the best way possible? And I look at sustainability as not only something we're doing for the planet, or the future, it makes financial sense. If you're using less energy, if you're using better products, you're getting something that is a better quality for living in, it's a cheaper place to run, and it's going to be more comfortable. We talked about overheating a minute ago. If your house is nice and cool because we've designed it the right way, then we don't have to spend money on air conditioning. We don't have to waste money by opening windows and letting that heat out. We've designed it in the right way. And we can do that with your existing houses. The greenest building is the one that already exists. And that's from houses to factories to all of the building stock we've got. We're always told there's a housing shortage in the UK. There is a lack of imagination on what we can do with our existing building stock. Concrete is a terrible carbon and it's in the ground in our foundations. If we trash those buildings and knock them down and dig them all out and put them on landfill, we are wasting all of that. So it doesn't matter if you build the greenest building in the world, you've already started from a really bad basis. So we should only be building the very essential new stuff and we should be retrofitting what we can. I was reading that it takes 13 times the energy to build a terrace house, a new energy-efficient terrace house, than it does to retrofit and make an existing terrace house to the same standard. 13 times as much energy. There are so many ways of being sustainable. It's better that we all do one little thing than we just convince one person to build a sustainable house. You can come and ask people like myself uh, and other specialists how you can make your houses more efficient, whether you're doing big building work or not. And it will save you money in the long run. Everyone thinks architects draw plans. No, we're a lot more than that. We can guide you through the process. And if we don't know the answer, we'll go find somebody who does. We're a good conduit for that. I always call us the, the GPs of the building world. If we don't know it, we'll go find a specialist who does, okay? I'm going to pass on to Mark, and he'll tell you about an actual building project. Thanks, Christine. And we won the commission to design the extension to Kirk Leatham School. Right, I'm just going to talk to you about 10 very basic, good design principles that we followed. So the first thing I would like to suggest is that you need to give time to the design process. Don't go rushing in. If you're about to do a house extension, a kitchen extension or whatever, just take some time to plan how you want that space to work. And architects can help you do that. If you plan and you get it right, there's less chance you'll need to change it in the future. If you change it in the future, you're using more carbon. The next one was to be local. Obviously, it makes sense environmentally to use local businesses. There's a lot of weight in choosing which contractor to use based on their social value and what they can do for the local economy. So just to touch on the uh, design of the school, the best environmental building that you can create is to start with an existing building. You know, there is a temptation to pull things down, start again. The embodied carbon, you can't underestimate how much is already there. And also, it's more than that. It's, it's, it's very sustainable to, to just invest in a place that already works. There were two areas where we extended the school. At the front of the school uh, and to the rear. These, these were, I have to tell you, these are the only parts of the school left where we could possibly extend. 
because over the years it's been extended and extended. So the uh, plan here was to extend the existing school, um, maintain natural light to the existing classrooms, not block them off, which could have happened, and then to think about the orientation of the buildings within the space. So, for example, um, we all know that the sun rises in the east, sets in the west, so you use that. Christine will use that at a domestic level, we use it at a commercial level. So, for example, this special school needed um, ASD classrooms for, for, for children with uh, autism. Now, they would benefit from being in a uh, north side of the building. So that means they don't get the direct sun. It's a more controlled sensory experience. Uh, and then they get the benefit that they can move out into a sensory garden. Also, things like utilities, toilets and things like that, you always put those on the north side of the building as well because you don't need the natural light. And the other thing we did was encourage natural ventilation. Tim mentioned this earlier about this tendency to, to use air conditioning to cool your building down. Well, we've got to avoid that. Um, the prevailing wind comes across the field, so why not use the wind to pass through the building and out the other side? And what that does is it helps suck out the heat and the stale air. There's a, there's a reason that the Victorians built schools with very high ceilings. It was at, so at playtime, they'd open the windows, all the stale air comes out, goes out, everybody comes back in, and it's a great environment. And that, that has been forgotten in, in recent years. The other thing we need to do is anticipate climate change. We all know it's happening. Temperatures are increasing. So let's actually harness the fact that we're going to spend more time outside. And this could be the same at a domestic level as well, that you could extend your home and have cupboard spaces outside uh, and, and use them. Uh, sustainable specification number eight, we touched on this earlier, just give due consideration to your materials and where they're coming from, what the carbon footprint is of that material, are you moving it across the country when you don't need to? Ecology is obviously really important. So um, we, we, have a, we have a duty to make sure that we don't reduce the uh, ecological benefits of the, of the site. And this is where we put back boxes on the side of the building to in encourage biodiversity as well. And then number 10, and it's deliberately number 10, is that's when you apply the technology. So that's the icing on the cake. And by technology, yes, we're putting photovoltaics on the roof, but actually you get the most benefit from different controls. So if you, if, same at home, if you have a, a good thermostat in your house that you can control, you'll, you'll get maximum benefit from that as opposed to just deciding that you need to or thinking that you need to put photovoltaics on the roof. So just to finish off with a simple statement that if you get it right, then you will love the building. And no matter what building you, you, you're, we're talking about here, if you love it, it will become more sustainable because it will have a future. So we're hoping that the alterations we're doing to the school will, will help the school to continue to love it uh, and it will have a, a long future. Thank you. Lovely. Well, thank you both. And I think there's some real themes that kind of come through on this, isn't there, about common sense approaches to buildings, you know, not chucking away things that we already have, not chucking away ideas. I mean, the thing you said about the, yeah. the high ceiling classroom is, a, yeah. is an awesome one. How many solid wall construction properties do you think there are in the UK that don't have any insulation right now that you have to have the heating on to keep the damp out? Seven million solid wall construction properties in the UK. We can do something with that. There are street upon street of terraces that could be treated, could be retrofitted. 
we could reduce the costs to the health service. It's an absolute no-brainer. And not only would we be then creating an industry that was retrofitting buildings, we'd also be saving all that pain and misery. And another thing, all that money. So if I was to say to you guys, okay, here's you know, two rows of terraced houses in a street, what would you do to, to make those fit for the 21st century and fit for the society we want to live in? The first thing I'd do is speak to the residents. Human behaviour is one of the main drivers of how we use buildings and how efficient they're going to be. So I'd talk to the residents first. Then we'd start to look at the basics, insulation, controls, ventilation. You can't insulate without ventilating. All these modern houses, they've got problems with damp because they're too highly insulated. Insulating correctly with the right ventilation, that's what I do. And Thanks, Christine. Yeah. Now, you've done the easy one because Mark's now got to think of something I've got, I've got to fill in the gaps <laughs> and come up with new, different things. The, the, I can talk with a little bit of authority on this that I did a retrofit project in Newcastle uh, a few years ago where we had £120,000 to spend doing up a, a terrace house. And what we were able to do was apply lots of different technologies and monitor their performance and see which one came out tops. And the one that came out tops was the cheapest, which was not leaving the window open when the heating's on. <laughs> and understanding how radiator valves work. You might have those thermostatic radiator valves setting those to the right temperature so that you're not overheating rooms. You've, you've got to trust these thermostats, get them to the level that they want to be and let them do their thing and then insulate. You're better off to keep hold of the heat that you've got before you then go out and buy technology. Okay, that's, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, looking to the future then in terms of materials, what kind of aesthetic if we're going to be building yeah. new buildings, and we, we will need some new buildings, yeah. what kind of aesthetic can we expect to see when we're thinking about the embodied energy of buildings? Because like bricks yeah. have a lot of energy that's sure. in that brick. Yeah, well, you probably notice there's a tendency to get away from cladding at the moment because of <laughs> Grenfell and, and, and other, other reasons. Um, but I would say timber, because timber has embodied carbon in it. The tree grows, it absorbs CO2, and then we use it. And as long as we manage that and we replace it and it's, it, it's controlled, you'll see more and more timber. I would say also uh, looking more and more at recycled materials. Now, starting with the basics, we've already got bricks in a lot of buildings. It, the buildings we do knock down, the walls we knock down, those bricks. I have just built my new studio out of reclaimed bricks. Um, looks amazing. It, it, partly because it's already got all of that weathered stuff that the the brick manufacturers artificially weather bricks to make new bricks look like old bricks. Why are we doing that when we've already got old bricks? And there's a lot of places you can buy those kind of things. Um, but also, there are various recycled boards and, and things like that. So cladding again, but with recycled materials and recyclable materials. So things that when we finish with them, we can use them again somewhere else. So be able to dismantle buildings and put them back together again. The great thing with brick is that it, it is always that size. You know, there's no waste. You make a brick. And it's the same with cladding panels as well. That You see more and more effort in trying to design a building using the product as it comes out and as it is manufactured and not having to cut bits off it and create waste. Come one, come 
Time for some audience questions. First up, the panel were asked, was it okay to replace timber decking with a composite alternative? I think it all depends what it's made of because you can get composite decks that are made of 100% recycled material. Well, that's great. In which case, yeah, use it. But like I said earlier about, you know, timber isn't... Let's not be scared of using timber. We just need to look after it and we need to get it from a managed forest. And if you can do that, and it hasn't travelled halfway around the world, don't be too concerned about that. But, yeah, if you can get recycled materials, great. I think that sustainability is all about balance. This is why it makes it difficult. It's not, yes, I've done this and it's the right thing to do. There's many shades of grey on the right thing to do. So, yeah, uh, sometimes using a composite, a plastic composite, uh, if it's not virgin plastic, uh, if it's recycled material, uh, some of them have got recycled wood and all sorts of other things in them. Mm. The problem is with that is you've got to think about what you're going to do with it at the end of its life. Um, so you need to make a balance judgment. Are you going to keep it for 25 years? It might have a better effect than replacing a, a, a softwood one every five years. Another question from an audience member concerned about how he should approach building a sustainable extension to his house. Yeah. You, you can think about it, I think, is, is the main thing. Is that True. Think about what you're, you think about the design, because you can minimise the use of them. The lazy thing is to just chuck a load of concrete in the ground and you know it's going to be fine. But if you design carefully, you can minimise that. Or you can use alternatives like, um, so in, for foundations, for example, you can use piles, which can be steel piles that go into the ground. Now steel, again, a lot of embodied energy, but you're using a much smaller amount yeah, no, I totally agree. Small quantities of concrete is the solution there. You know, you can't really beat concrete in the ground for, for its load-bearing abilities. Um, but, yeah, minimise it as much as possible. And then don't forget that, actually, steel, although it has a lot of embodied carbon when you, when you manufacture it, it is the most recycled material in the world. Even if you bought a piece of new steel, it's something like 65% is recycled steel. And one final question from our audience. Should conservatories be banned? The problem is how, what people do with them, how they use them. If you don't heat it, it's not so bad. If you uh, think about how you design a space, and you can have some lovely light-filled spaces, they're brilliant. It's the whacked-on, no thought, that's the problem. I think banning things, you get a knee-jerk reaction. That's the problem. Yeah, there's a good story I can tell about another school that I went to where they, they rung me up and they said, we need an extension. Okay, why do you need an extension? We need another classroom. Went into one room and I said, is this your IT suite? Yeah, yeah, these, they're all laptops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, so do you not take the laptops to the classrooms now? Well, yeah, we do do a bit of that. Right, so why don't you buy a trolley, put the laptops on the trolley, and you've just created yourself a classroom. I talked myself out of a job, but... <laughs> It was the right thing to do for the school. <laughs> to be fair, that's what I do a lot. I will go to somebody who's phoned me up for an extension and we don't necessarily build an extension. We might replan their house. They've got the space they need. It's just not working the right way. And so we don't need to build anywhere new. I mean, that's, that's the great thing is to sometimes have fresh eyes on a property yeah. and you can just go, actually, you've got loads of space. It's just not very well used. Let's... Let's do something about that rather than building you a new yeah, extension. Yeah, that's so, so true. Yeah. 
I think the thing that, I, that, that really sort of speaks to my heart, I think, is this whole thing about listening to people. You might have heard some of the smarter solutions actually didn't come from actually the building bit. It was the listening bit. It was understanding the client's needs and the brief. And I do think going forward in the future, we need to do a lot more engagement with communities to find out what their need is and how can we meet that and also help them meet their ambitions because a lot of people kind of want to be green, don't they, really? So I think we're, it's a social movement that I think now we've got to catch up with and actually facilitate the means to then translate that into everyday action that will make the difference. Thank you all for listening, and thank you to both of our uh, speakers today. Thank you. Come on, come on. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our contributors, Tim, Christine, and Mark. To find out more about the festival, visit festivalofthrift.co.uk. Music for this episode was the Festival of Thrift Anthem by Mouthful and the Phoenix Voices Choir. The Talks programme and this podcast was curated, produced and presented by me, Simon Preston. Innovation. No, you don't want to miss. Goodbye. The Festival of Thrift.